Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Racers and Rental Cars Podcast, where we talk everything motorsports marketing related, the ins and the outs, the do's and the don'ts, the turning lefts, going straights, the rumors and the gossips. We are here to entertain you in the world of motorsports. So Cameron Frey and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for rating, review, subscribe, telling 10 of your closest friends, and let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Racers and Rental Cars podcast youtube i told you at some point background would change a little bit for those of you that have been with the show and through covid and so forth the background and the chalkboard should give it away this was the set for this is my life uh in drag racing or this week in drag racing if you will that we did during covid uh, also a lot of time while Bob I was sick and we were basically kind of homebound here, if you will. And so the little set here in the shop got cracked back into use this week. And we'll be out here for the next probably five or six weeks as the in-house studio is going through its revamp. So of course we'll talk a lot about that over the course of the next few weeks and who knows what it's going to look like the first time we have a show for you here on YouTube in there in the new studio inside. That being said, this week, whew, lots to talk about, right? If you're social media any way, shape, or form, NASCAR yesterday, along with F1 this past weekend, was the talk of the news feeds, if you will. So we will talk about that later on. We've got a great guest which a lot of you in the motorsports world, the name and the company should resonate with you. And we're going to get him in here and talk about their involvement and his 23 years of experience with the big corporation that he is over there manhandling when it comes to sports marketing and sponsorship. But before we get to that, we'll be right back. You guys take a quick break, grab a drink and set in. This interview is going to be something. Let's put it up for the weekend warriors. It's the Racers and Rental Cars Podcast with your host, Top Fuel Cam, Cameron Foray, and his co-host, Mr. Top Sportsman, Don O'Neill. Keep on till they can't ignore you. All right, folks, no further ado, let's get our guest into the show from Old World Industries, the big guy up there for, I don't know, maybe some products you might have heard of, Peak, Def Fluid. If you got a diesel, you definitely know what Def is. Nonetheless, let's get him in here, Mr. Brian Bohandler. Brian, how are you doing, sir? I'm great, Don. How are you? Well, as I always tell everybody, better than I deserve. I think that goes for all of us, right? Uh, kind of, we're fortunate we get to live this this world that we, in the this world that we get to live in, right? Well, you know, for some people, it takes us a lot longer to realize that we're doing better than we probably deserve. And I know for me, I think it probably took, oh, I don't know. 48, 49 years, maybe before I finally realized it, I was a little slow uh, adopter, if you will, of that perspective, but been grabbing hold of it 
and holding on and trying to hang on for the full eight seconds ever since. So Brian, thanks for coming by the show. You old world industries, you're a fixture in the world of motorsports, but for those of our listeners and viewers at home on YouTube, why don't you give us a quick background of how you ended up in the world of motorsports? Wow. Okay. Uh, how far back do you want to go? Uh, I can start all the way back to the very, very beginning of a kid going to races and just wanting to participate in a sport, uh, having a, a bunch of seat time under my belt, getting an opportunity to participate, to uh, working in the automotive retail business and seeing an ad in the newspaper for the company to manufacture peak antifreeze and split fire spark plugs almost 23 years ago. And the rest, as they say, is history. So uh, we can touch on and talk through any or all of that. Well, the one thing about it is most people that we have on the show have some sort of deep rooted passion for the world of motorsports, whether it may be two wheel or four wheel. There's just something about good old gasoline, oil and spark plugs that makes everybody get up on the chip. That's it for sure. Well, you mentioned the fact 23 years at Old World Industries. You're a fixture around NASCAR, NHRA. You were out on Dragon Drive at Sick Week earlier this year. What is it that's over there at Old World Industries outside of the fact, of course, it's an automotive product. It's an automotive company that drives sales. We've got a correlation of our passion and our characteristics and traits for our customers, right? All that stuff that all of us that are in marketing and sponsorship realize first week advertising class when we were in college right okay beyond that what is it that owi really just hones in on and says it's okay we're a 23 million dollar a year company and we're just going to keep plugging away in the world of motorsports well so if you really want to look at the company itself it's everything from automotive products to heavy duty products to, I mean, even commodities and chemicals that we deal in. So we're in a lot of different segments. As as you see with most automotive companies and performance companies, there's always an industrial division somewhere off to the side that that helps and keeps things going, going as well. One of the things that's always made old world great and particularly me and, you know, when you have a 10 year, 23 years, there's many a times where you sit there and go, am I really on the right course? And every time you start to question it, there's another project that comes along that just brings you back in and and gets you refocused and recentered and keep going. And that's the beauty of being a privately held company, as you know. Um, you know, publicly traded companies, they, they live for the shareholders, the privately held companies obviously have to have to be profitable, they have to do, uh, do do right by their customers and have to do right by their ownership. But in the same token, you get a lot more latitude to come up with some unique ideas and unique ways to bring things to light that, that maybe other companies don't. And that's one of the beauties of particularly the performance side, but really the automotive industry in general. They're made up by so many of these companies that were started by by founders, a couple of people who either were friends or by family, and they've, they've grown them from really nothing but just passion and enthusiasm and doing right by their customers, and one thing's led to another, and you build that DNA of just just continue to, to work hard, play hard, as, uh, as our owner Tom likes to say, uh, have fun and make money. I mean, that that's kind of the mantra that we get up every day and we do. Well, of of course, right? In the world of motorsports, money makes the world go round, makes pistons go up and down, makes crankshafts turn. 
you know, to be able to build horsepower. But there's something about the fact, you know, we've seen a lot of motor, let's say automotive companies come into the world of motorsports. They come in, they're customer base. They realize loyalty is a, a huge, you know, driving force with customers and spectators and our fans and so forth. But you see them leave and they leave the sports, right? And they are, they downsize to the point that, you know, what they say, right? If you're not seeing what's going on in your company, mm-hmm. but you guys, you're just here. You're, you might move here, there, but you just doesn't ever seem, you know, that you just pull back even when times are good. When times are bad, we expect companies to pull back, right? You have downturns and COVID and so forth. But how is it that you're just able to sit over there for 23 years and convince the ownership group, guys, this, the commas and zeros, this is where we're going? Well, you know, it's interesting when you sit down and you think about it and you put it in that perspective, because of the fact that we do as much business for the average everyday consumer as we do for the motorsports segment and probably even much more so. But what happens in downturn economies? People keep cars longer, which means they have to do more preventative maintenance. So in good times, things are good. In bad economies, things, if you're positioned correctly, can be even better if you, if you do it right. And we've been fortunate, again, because we are privately held, because we are able to be aggressive when we need to and, and take chances in some of those economies that, uh, you know, maybe, you know, it, when you have to report on a quarterly basis to a shareholder and they say you have to do X, Y, Z, makes it a little more of a challenge. But again, I think that comes back down to a, a lot of different things. You know, men, motorsports, yeah, we've been in a lot of different properties and different places over the year. But when you look at the common constant, what does motorsports bring? It brings an automotive do-it-yourselfer. And when you make replacement parts or make products that can be done by yourself as an automotive DIYer, where do you capture the most automotive DIYers in motorsports? Whether that's major motorsports, whether that's grassroots motorsports, you know, over the years, We've seen this seismic shift from the big brand perspective, shall we say, that all your sponsors want logos on race cars and they want the big branding. As you know, the least important thing I do anymore is put logos on race cars. It's the 10 other things, 20 other things that go around a property that make it work. It's being part of that lifestyle. I mean, you've mentioned everything from, you know, Daytona and the NHRA program all the way down to being on Sick Week and being a partner of Sick Week. Well, what's the common denominator sick week? You've got 250 uh, essentially passengers, we'll call them. These are enthusiasts who just want to be along for the ride, plus another 300 racers. What's the common denominator? If somebody breaks, everybody's there to help each other. And so you want to be ingrained in a culture where other automotive enthusiasts are helping other automotive enthusiasts. When they go to the shelf, that ultimately they hopefully remember your brand because you were there when they needed you rather than, you know, just waving uh, an ad out in front of them and telling them everybody why you're great. Well, and that's very true. It, a lot of times I don't think that, let, we'll just say, let's say average racer, right? Like that DNA makeup that you talked to. Most average racers are DIYers. Most of them have other careers that they're involved with, right? They have another way that puts financial into their bank account to take care of their family and also be able to have the passion side of of horsepower or motorsports. Right. So, so that goes in there and it's 
finding that spot in there where a brand or a product can impact them and remind them for the next time that they go to the shelf, right? And it doesn't turn into, well, I remember that brand and they were part of such and such and now they're gone. Well, I'm not buying theirs anymore. I'm going to buy this company's product because they've been involved in what it is that I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I wonder sometimes like, you know, obviously we're in an analytics, you, you and I, we've, we've talked metrics and we, we, you know, numbers don't lie. Right. So they say, Oh, how hard has it been to over let, let's say the last decade, because if you really think about it, a lot has changed since 2003 to 13 to 23, the, you know, you're talking about three decades worth of time. What's been some of the new techniques, if you will, that you and your team at OWI are using to actually gauge those metrics of support or continued support or eh, that wasn't as successful as we thought it should be. So let's pull back a little bit. Well, I guess it goes down to philosophy and over the years of being involved in motorsports, not only from a corporate level, but from a personal level. When you really boil down sponsorship, there's three components to it. There's a business component to it. There's a media component to it. And I'll get a little deeper into what media is. And then their third part of it is product validation. So from a business development standpoint or a business standpoint, are there opportunities to team up with other companies that are part of the landscape? Are there other opportunities to team up with other partners that are part of the race program? If you look around at a lot of sponsorships, you don't see our brands is really blasted all over the car with exception to John. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But if you look to other forms of motorsport, they're split with another partner. A lot of that is a business program where everybody wins. The business partner gets an opportunity to take one of their key brands, run promotions with them, drive more customers through the store. Uh, I won't name specifically, but I can tell you that there is a racing promotion that we do every February that pays for itself in 60 days. When you sit down and do the metrics of how much product is moved because of the placement in store, because of the media that goes around it, and the fact that the you know the car has a chance to win the win that race every year that it that it runs. So, I mean, that's just that's one business example. Uh, from a media side, everybody says the TV. Well, uh, I'll, I'll take that out because we all know that media impressions are what they are. Can you ever quantify that? It actually rings a cash register? Probably not. What you look at, though, from a partner standpoint is the partner's media. So if you think about from a grassroots automotive media, that's about 50,000 reach. When you team up with partners in motorsports that have half a million, a million, more than a million, Think about that between their social platforms and the the people they touch. That's 10 times the size of an automotive media outlet. And you have a captive audience because these people are avid fans of, let's call it the tribe, right? The tribe is motorsport fan and particularly this driver. So there's media that they bring to the table and exposure that is completely different than what it was 10 years ago uh, before we had social media. And then, of course, the third piece is product validation. And that's just not even on the racetrack. Uh, if you think about it from our perspective, let's use Force as an example. He's got nine semis that run down the road. Well, we make products for heavy-duty commercial and transportation. So that whether that be the blue DEF product that goes in the DEF product for all the diesel trucks to heavy-duty coolants. Don't think for a second if there's not a new formulation that John's not running at nine rigs to go out there and do 
product validation for us. You know, uh, yeah, there's no coolant in a, in a race car and at least in a funny car, but that fleet of trucks is a pretty compelling case when you work with distributors who uh, essentially sell to other fleets that same size. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for your fleet, right? So, uh, you know, if you can touch on, if you can put all three of those pieces together, you've got a really strong portfolio. Uh, if you can get two to three of those, you've got a, a really strong portfolio. So coming full circle, you asked me about metrics. Well, the metrics are, if there's the business piece, you can obviously, that's that you can show on paper. Uh, the social media piece of it, you can show that on paper. And the product valid validation, that's an icing on the cake piece of it too. And usually there's some type of a test data that you can pull out of that. And notice once there, and never set her logo on a race car, because that's the true icing on the cake. So uh, that, that's it. That, that's how I bring it to life. And then that's, that's again how we look at it and we judge it because there's there's really some meat there to be able to tell a compelling story. Well, absolutely, and that's a really good analysis to break down for our audience and those on YouTube. Let's you talked about media and you talked about social media and impressions. What is OWI's position now? Is you know we're at 2023. You know the cliche of cutting the cord and more people doing streaming and going to YouTube with Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and all of these other avenues, if you will, of social media that are starting to become more and more controlled and pay-to-play locations, if you will. What has been your guys' strategy as you're moving forward through 2023 into the future in regards to those types of applications? Well, I think it's going to take a long period of time for people to, or I'll say it this way, it's going to take a long period of time before the plat- platforms are going to change to a point where it's going to be a major issue. There's still there's still opportunities to organically get media, and there's still opportunities for things to go viral. And if you look back at our roster, we started to bring on ambassadors, social media ambassadors, as early as 2013, 2014, and really have ratcheted it up over the past four or five years. Uh from the for the future, I don't see that changing because I I still think to this point what's unique about social media is social media, unlike a, a lot of different competitive environments like racing, you're not going to sit down and tell your competitors what you're doing to be successful, right? From a social media perspective, <laughs> the more of these ambassadors will sit down together and they actually feed off each other because they understand. Don, if you've got an audience of 25,000 and I've got an audience of 25,000, if we collaborate, there's 50,000 people that hear our message. And if somebody else comes in, there's another 100, then there's 200,000 people. So right. this isn't a management versus labor scenario. This is a camaraderie where that we raise all tides, you know, all ships raise based on the tide, right? We're raising each other as we go along. And that's odd to me, even if things start to get a little more challenging, and you have to do a little bit more pay to play, there's still going to be enough people who are trusted in this segment that are going to be able to help you get the organic reach that you need, uh, you know, without necessarily spending the money for uh, for media buys. Now, granted, when you can take that and you can put a little bit of a media buy, a little bit of juice behind it, now you can exponentially amplify that message point. Right. And I think that's, see, I think that's also one of the things that's going to be extremely challenging moving forward you know, if we want to quote unquote, say for the next generation, right. Of kids that are coming in to the world of motorsports and they're trying to pick themselves up 
and and really start to try to they say okay this is what i want to do i want to be in the world of motorsports i'm going to use my social media influence i'm going to create content i see the challenge in the future for applications in their pay-to-play type situation and i just you know when you start to think about it like there's a lot of people that say i'm not paying for the blue check mark i'm not you know i what was it i saw one one report 60 million dollars was generated off of the blue check mark 60 million dollars paid for to that company for these people to have a blue check mark beside their name like you don't own it like yeah. there, there was just thought processes that that came there of you paid a company who houses your persona or your avenue of communication for a blue check mark to go beside your name and at the end of the day you don't own it yeah. that company does and there was just things about that and of course maybe it has a little bit to do with me being a farm kid and a military guy going wait a minute i did what i just paid you and i don't own anything mm-hmm. well i just could have went out here to the end of the driveway and threw 25 bucks out in the street and been <laughs> been just the same right like i i just what what are you guys saying what's your staff saying there internally as far as that thought process goes right now i think we're taking a wait and see uh we're, we're pre- presenting from a situation where we feel pretty confident there's going to be organic pickup, at least for a while. I'm going to just kind of see how this thing plays out. Uh, that That's where we are. Is it on the radar? Sure. I mean, you think about there's other platforms where there's an algorithm. And if you hit the algorithm, you make it rich. And if you miss the algorithm, you, nobody knows you exist. Uh, so, again, that's where from a really good social media perspective, you've really got to test the waters and try different things and see what resonates with your audience and understand who your audience is and what it is that that attracts them to you and what do they want to hear? Why why are they there for you? What, what do they like about you? Uh, we have a thing called the Peak Squad. And essentially, if you're a peak follower, you're part of the Peak Squad. And uh, you know, it, this isn't a blatant organization, a blatant attempt for us to go remarket to you. Maybe down the road, you're going to get some different things. We're trying to build a community. We're trying to build a, com- a community of people. My mantra internally with our digital team is we have fun with cars. That's what it is. It really boils down to it. If you have fun with cars, you're going to work on cars. If you don't like having fun with cars, and fun with cars could be anything from going to an autocross to being a professional racer to even being a soccer mom who has to put windshield washer fluid in and wiper blades on their vehicle, you still you got to do it. You got to get there. So let's make it as fun and as painless as possible for you to be part of the, be part of the tribe. Right. And that's, that's really what the peak squad is all about. So as we play that and we play that angle where we feel pretty comfortable that organically, we're going to be able to continue to get pickup because again, you're, you're talking with people, not talking at people. And there's a big difference. Oh, absolutely. And you're talking to like-minded people, right? But at the end of the day, you've got to have you've got to have a vehicle that takes care of you and your family, your loved ones, create a, a revenue stream for you to provide for your family. So, like, there's all these other characteristics that play in there uh, that impacts your sales and, and the individuals that want to follow and be a part of whatever community they may be, whatever the passion point is for them. So let's talk a little bit about that. So now you're up there, you're in Chicago for those that home that i might not have led into that old world industries is 
headquartered in the big old state of Illinois. Now, you guys have motorsports wise, you you've got a big event coming up in a couple weeks. You got even a bigger event coming up in a few weeks after that. And you've been kind of sheltered and shunned as I think depends on whose report you read. You're either the second or the third largest market in the country. Just depends on whose report you read. How are you internally inside the company? What do what do you guys got on the table for the next upcoming weeks for coming back to Joliet for NHRA? And then we're going to have the Chicago street race a few weeks after that. I mean, things got to be wicked up a little bit inside your headquarters. Well, a little bit. So I don't really have anything to do on the street race side of it. And I won't even get into that. You, you don't want to hear my my actual take on that event and what that may turn into from those who I've talked to on the inside. Uh, I, I've been very, very clear about what I think it's going to be. And if two years from now, if I'm wrong, I'll eat my words. I'll just leave it at that. How about that? Uh, we do have a big event coming up with our friends at NHRA. And for us, obviously, with the involvement that we have, you, you know, as you know, Don, you participate in NHRA. You're out there week in and week out. Here's the reality. The hardest core automotive enthusiasts, the hardest core automotive DIYers, they're NHRA fans. That is who they are. That's where they are. For us, it's important for us to have an event in our backyard, especially when we have one of the nicest facilities in the country. And I won't go through all the details, but let's just say we were on the ground floor of helping to bring this thing back in just a little tiny sliver of a way. And it's exciting to see it come to fruition. I give you a little breath of the situation. I've got 200 employees coming out to the event uh, that week. We are the presenting sponsor of it. Uh, I've got, uh, obviously, uh, our ownership coming out, our C-suite coming out. I've got customer trainings around the event. Uh, I've got all of our employees, as a matter of fact, are going to be on the hood of John's car. So they're going to have to ride along at 330 miles an hour. So it's it's a neat way to engage all of them into this, too. Uh, and then on top of everything else that's going on around the event itself, uh, we help them bring this whole Dragon Drive movement in with Tom Bailey and, of course, Alex Taylor, who's one of our ambassadors, uh, just so, she, you know, frankly, so she could get her national event debut, but really because this is the movement, this is the future of drag racing. If you take out of the the equation, the truck and the trailer component of it and dragging to and uh, driving to and from a, a drag strip, you now made it more affordable for an every man to, or every woman, shall we say, to be able to go get involved in the sport. And if we don't have participation, we don't have a sport, whether that's, you know, from the grassroots level all the way up to the top. There, there's no reason to exist if there isn't an opportunity for, uh, you know, participation. And on top of that, where is the next professional going to come from? It's going to come from somebody who started and participated at some level and grew in the sport and expanded in the sport. So we've always got to keep that we always got to keep that top of mind. Pro racing is great, but there's got to be a grassroots movement that helps move the needle and continue to feed the professional level or this thing will cease to exist. And that's not just drag racing. That's any form of motorsport in general. Um, from the personal side, I'm involved in, in SEMA's Motorsports Parts Manufacturers Council. And one of the biggest things that we hype all the time with the 200 manufacturers that are in the in the group is don't forget to talk about the local events that you guys are involved in and talk about participation, whether again, whether it's the corner parking lot you have that you've got an autocross going on or the, the cruise that you have, because if people don't know their events and places to participate, 
they're not going to go get involved in the sport. And frankly, when you make performance parts, if people don't participate, you don't sell parts and this whole ecosystem doesn't exist. So we've all got to help each other keep this thing going. Uh, and that's, again, the beauty of, of where we sit is that we we recognize that and and we support that at all the different levels. Well, and I couldn't agree with you more on that. I had a conversation with another owner of a of a manufacturing company for high performance parts. And we were talking about what, like if, if you started to write things out and put them on a ladder of how things could move, right? Or trickle down effect. The, the problem with drag racing and actually all forms of motorsports is, is that local push is always from the bottom to the top not very it, it's very infrequently that somebody just goes directly to the top and that's where they start at that there's there's some sort of insert down at the bottom well when it comes to drag racing you know you have your your test and tune guys and, and your cars and coffee clubs and things of that nature and so you get this you know little dynamic if you will and then they go to the racetrack well at that point the next evolution for them in most situations is bracket racing or some form of NHRA side. Well, that initially becomes kind of expensive, right? But if you slide a wedge in right here between test and tune and bracket racing, you've got drag and drive. And it's yeah. something that can go in there between a dad and son or dad and daughter or two, two guy buddies, girl, girl and her mom. And whatever you get this little wedge right here where it doesn't matter where you are in the country, you can still have your performance, if you will, as you start to climb. And, you know, then it's NMCA possibly because it's some sort of, supercar or, or something on the factory side of, of high performance. If we don't embrace those types of events and environments and be able to try to support them when we possibly can, regardless of what local market it may be in, we're not going to have an influx as it goes up. You know, I I'm for exposing the junior dragster kids and their parents to drag and drive, you know, I mean, they're already in, in the drag racing scene with junior dragsters, but like to move up to a big car, to get a performance piece of it, to do a little marketing, do a little bit more on the environment side, if you will, of the business landscape. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You, you know, we did six, sick week earlier in the year. Uh, I'm going to, I'm looking forward, you know, a month, a month away from tomorrow, I'm going to be doing six summer, the same thing. And I'm looking forward to that as well. I, do you, do you have something in the back of your head of how far you feel like this dragon drive is you guys are just going to keep pushing? How far do you think it's going to go before it just goes and starts to maybe take a turn in the other direction? Well, I mean, everything gets to a certain point where it plateaus, but I do think that there's some staying power to this. And you know, I think if you look at conceptually, again, you hit the nail in the head and we've kind of referenced it. All of motorsports at the professional level started at a grassroots movement. If you look at NASCAR, when NASCAR's real heyday was, when was NASCAR's real heyday? 80s through the 90s. Why? You had all pro stars that went to NASCAR. You had ASA stars that went to NASCAR. You had some local guys that started to come up the ranks. 
when you started to bring this in, when Mark Martin and Rusty Wallace came, they brought the ASA fan base with them. When, you know, the Mike Dillons of the world brought the All-Pro rank, ranks with them, they brought the fan base with them. It's all started as a groundswell at the grassroots and brought it up to the major level. If you look at the history of drag racing, it was, you know, mano a mano, who had the best car, had the factories gotten involved, and they started to promote it and tell the stories problem with motorsports is you get to a certain point and when you start to get to that tipping point where you push it over the edge and you push the average the every man out then you got to go back and retool off-road racing is a great example of this off-road racing was on the verge about 10 years ago and then along came three letters utv and why was utv so appealing because you and I could go down to the factory or go down to a dealership. We could go buy buy one. We could both put a few grand worth of safety equipment on it. And we can now run in the biggest races in the country, right. in the world, frankly, in that, that segment. And from a motorsport standpoint, you always have to have that point of entry that can be every man, every woman to get there. Drag and drive is that point right now because it takes out the trailer and the truck X you know, component of it. I don't even want to say, but I know what this costs these days. You do too. You own trucks and trailers. You got it. You take that out of the equation, this becomes a little more, a little less intimidating or daunting for people to come in. You know, the other thing is too, is that, you know, a factory stock car still is way beyond the reach of many average everyday consumers. And with that being said, how do you expect to get a groundswell from a grassroots level when it's completely unattainable? Uh, this is where, you know, things like drifting and where autocross and where track days have started to come in because you can take an average everyday car and you can go out there and you can go participate. And then it's an evolutionary process. And, you know, drag racing was that way. I'm not saying it can't get back to that point. But when you look at a stock car that to me really should be a super stock and a super stock should be a modified, where's the stock point of entry? There is none. Uh, this is where drag and drive can really open the doors for the average everyday consumer who can buy a car that's a few years old, put a few performance parts on it, go drive to an event with their buddies. They get the road trip aspect and they could go make a few passes on it, have fun with it and build camaraderie. And that's the groundswell that's going to help us. We need more of that. We need more of those type of classes that will help to help get this thing going and keep this thing going. So yes, to long and short, Everything is a grassroots movement, and we have to remember that at all times. It's great to have the pro the pro form of motorsport, but you always have to have a feeder series to continue to, to expand the growth of it. Well, absolutely. And, and the thing about the Dragon Drives are is, you know, as long as we've got good individuals out there with solid experience to manage the rules, right, and protect mm-hmm ourselves from ourselves then we'll be able to continue to maintain that entry point i I mean they're just there are just so many things about the dragon drive that i was not aware of that got i got exposed to down there in florida and georgia early on and was like this is a thing you guys are arguing about that well (laughs) you, you don't understand this is saving you money to not do it that way okay all right i'm gonna be quiet and go back over here it because it is it's a it's a it's a natural issue everybody has financial that goes along with whatever the investment is and it it can drive you insane man, and keep you from not being able to go to this event or that event or be able to participate in this. And we all have families and loved ones, right? We got to, you know, you got to have that, that aspect of it as well. So, okay. I've had you for a few. We got to, I got to get a couple things real quick. One, yep. tell our listeners as far as a director of motorsports and sponsorships, 
what they need to be doing to catch the eye of peers in our field? That's a great question. So <clears throat> from my perspective on this, again, you've got to be thinking about that we all need money to go race, right? That That's the common denominator. But getting money and handed money and earning the money are two different things. Uh, no company is going to give money. They have to see some type of return on it. Show them a way in which you can help them grow their business, whether that's reaching an audience, whether that's telling a compelling story about a product that they make that you use and you believe in, begin you have proof to be able to show why it's better and why it works. And, you know, those are the kind of things that will help catch eyes of people. And again, open up doors. I always say the best opportunity for a racer is somebody who already owns a business because one, you're looking for customers and two, you have other people that you work with. So how do you put the people you work with and your customers together in this other party that you want to bring in, i.e. the sponsor, that's the best way and the fastest way to, to make an impact. If I can provide something to you and your company that helps you and you in turn help me get to a market I don't have, this is a natural conversation of how we're going to progress rather than you just asking me for money and what am I getting in return? I can't go to a board of directors and tell them I'm going to spend X, Y, Z and I don't know what I'm going to get because we're, because we're nice people. We can't do that. So use what you have and create something of value out of what you have. And then as you build that, that snowball be, be begins to build. As more and more people get aboard and they see what, what it is and what you're about and what you bring to the table, that's when you get other opportunities continue to grow. And then it's matchmaker time. Then it's, I have X, Y, and Z. If we put A, B, and C together, six people now win. And now this that's how this thing gets exponentially bigger. The B2B side of it, it makes it so easy. Just it makes it so easy. Sometimes it can be a long, grueling process, but most of the time, if you come with some sort of sales opportunity already in hand, it makes it easier to shake hands. Absolutely. All right. So here we go. We're going to wrap this up. Two things. First one, you get to send a Christmas card to anybody in motorsports. Who are you sending oh, wow. it to? Oh, wow. Um, now you got me on off guard because I don't know. There's so many people on that roster at this point. Who would I send it to? God, I don't know, Don. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I mean, the list is long, man. I, there's nobody at the top of my head that's going. Oh my God, I have to do this to have to send him a card to it. I know it's a cop out uh, answer, but okay, I'll, I'll make it even easier for you from right. this aspect. You get to send a Christmas card to a mentor. Who would it be? Okay, so I get to send it to a mentor. You know. I've got a lot of them out there. I've got a lot of different people uh, that I've worked for. Uh, but uh, there, there's two people in this sport who have taught me a ton. And one you're probably not going to think about. But that's uh, TJ Zizzo has become a really good friend of mine over the years. We work together and we kind of learn this thing together. I learned the marketing side. He learned the racing side. He taught me the business of racing. And I taught him the marketing side. And it, it's, you know, we're, we're great friends to this day. We talk all the time. And Force 2 doesn't get nearly enough credit for as smart as this guy is. I mean, he literally lives this sport. He's 100 hours a week. He's on. I've got phone calls at 4 in the morning. I've got calls at midnight. I've got calls at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning on an off race week. This is what he does. He thinks about it 24-7. 
people don't give him enough credit about the being that the shrewd businessman he is. Uh, there's not many operations that would have done what he did during COVID and be able to come back as strong as he did. But he stepped back and evaluated the situation and said, this is in the best interest for me. This is in the best interest for my team. And more importantly, my employees, because they are an extended family. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot to be said for that. And I'm fortunate to see it from the inside and, and, and get to, to get to understand things that a lot of people on the outside don't get to see. So those would be my two. How about that? That pretty those those are pretty good answers. T Joe kind of caught me off guard there a little bit, but he's a Chicago kid up there, and he and his family they've been doing it for a long time, and they've been doing it their way. And there's just something about a form of respect for a family that does it at that level their own way for as long as they have been. So that would be a good individual to uh, grab a slice of cake from for sure. Last it's one. Funny you say that because again, I mean, we've we're, we're pretty much same age and we grew up in this thing together. So it's you know, it, it's neat when you have that kind of relationship and with somebody who you both are learning this together and you're feeding off each other. And that those those are hard to come by. Anyway, last one. Well, well, t- I will say this about TJ: when TJ rolls through the gate with his family's operation. He is not an outsider. He's not a, it, he might not make the field. You just go ahead and pencil him in. He's going to be on the sheet. So if you're on the outside trying to make it in, now you got one more that you got to worry about. His family gets it done on a regular basis. Last one, you got to send one WTF card to anybody in motorsports. Who are you sending it to? <laughs> oh, I would send it to the president of NASCAR. Now I'm just going to leave it at that. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. Well, I, I, I probably know why you say that, but you know, Brian, I took a lot of heat the past few weeks because I talked about four wide racing being a novelty. And I talked about dirt at Bristol being a novelty and I can't stress it, but Chicago street race novelty at there's, there's something about race organizations that go and insert something in there that they believe will move the needle for just their sales aspect, but not necessarily for the race teams, the race drivers. That's, that's where the, None of us got our driver's license drag racing at a four wide racetrack. Not, not one, not one and no NASCAR driver. Not all NASCAR drivers grew up driving dirt. Not all of them grew up driving street courses. And I I just wonder sometimes, yes, do we need to be in Chicago? Absolutely. Did we need to come up with something for Bristol? Sure. Was dirt the answer? Not sure. Don't really think so. Chicago street race. Oh my, I, I well, I'm with you on that aspect. Here's the thing. You have to commend them for trying something different. I will give them that, but you can't alienate your fan base. And, and I'll say that from the perspective of knowing the dynamics between some of the States around here, when you took away something that was so avid and so passionate from your hardcore fan to try something, if you could have done both, this might have made this a, a little easier bridge than 
literally making a building a wall and cutting it off. Because if you've alienated that group of people now that may not come back and this doesn't work out to your favor, you've now have two strikes against you instead of a half a strike, shall we say? Uh, that, that's just my thoughts on it. I think it's, I think it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. I think it's great marketing, right? Chicago is a huge city with a lot of marketing, advertising, PR companies, a lot of agencies in there that house a lot of Fortune 500, you know, advertiser on records, right? AORs. Mm -hmm. But I'm not not real sure that all the racers are going to get out. The drivers are going to get out of their car and go, man, this is great. We need to do like five more of these a year. Yeah. I don't really think that's going to be the outcome. And I don't think we're going to see a lot of hoo-ha on the radios from fan feedback come Monday and Tuesday after the race weekend. But then again, they're smarter than I am, so I can be wrong. I can just say this. We've lived the, this experience a lot in Chicago. I'll say Chicago Motor Speedway, ring a bell. It, it's the, the odd. It, could this whole street race concept work? Yeah, I think it'd work in the right market. I just don't know if this is the right one for it. That's, that's all. And definitely the infrastructure is not aligning to be able to do it at least the way it should be done so again i could be way wrong uh, i may have to come back two years from now and said okay i'll eat my words i was wrong but let's see let's let's just see uh, well well i'll be i'll be uh sitting there with you on my hands pins and needles going okay what's the outcome gonna be yeah. well brian Thank you very much for coming on, hanging out. We've had numerous conversations off air along the way. I, I totally appreciate our professional and personal relationship. Thank you very much. I hope to catch up with you uh, maybe out six summer. Who knows? Kind of be in your neck of the woods. Maybe I'll yeah. catch up with you then. And uh, if nothing else, enjoy yourself at Route 66 Raceway in two weeks. I hope your entire organization, all your employees, enjoy taking in the site of my last national event wally with yep. die so uh that it was uh that was pretty good i'm gonna hate that i'm gonna miss out racing there this year but nonetheless uh thanks again brian greatly appreciate having you on the show don i appreciate it so much and yes you will sick me you will see me on six summer so uh look forward to hanging out there absolutely you take care sir have a great week thank you you as well Folks, we'll be right back with final thoughts. All right, folks, great interview with Brian. A lot of insight from, from his 23 years of experience. That being said, let's get into wrapping up this show this week. So I got to talk about what broke the internet, social media yesterday. How about Noah Gregson and Ross Chastain getting into it after the race in Kansas? Oh my, we talked about the fact that Chastain has been under everybody's skin, right? I mean, everybody's skin he has been under, but nobody does anything about it. Well, Noah, he was tired of it. Said it in his interview. Now, I know, right? Ross caught him one right in there. That being said, NASCAR security getting involved before Noah got a shot in. Come on, guys. I mean, seriously, 
you got to at least give each one of them a chance. Uh, uh, Freddie Kraft said hockey rules, and that's exactly right. Somebody, let them let have a chance, okay? And <laughs> how about the one video of Ross Chastain when Noah grabbed hold of his fire suit? Ross looked at him and said, stop, stop. And he didn't tell him stop the third time. He popped him, right? So uh, I don't think this is the end of Noah and Ross. But I also think that by Noah doing it, I think you're going to see Ross's temperature get turned up a little bit. I think more racers are going to say, okay, all right, Noah did it. I'm just, I'm, I, I, okay, I'm going to do it too. Um, the other video soundbite was awesome of Chase Elliott as he walked by Noah and said, well, somebody's got to do it. I thought that was great. NASCAR's most popular driver telling Noah, go ahead. Somebody's got to do it. That was good. That was really good. Denny Hamlin picked up the win. It was a, one of the most entertaining races uh, that I have watched this year uh, from drivers getting spun out. They were racing all over the racetrack. It was a hundred degrees out there. Uh, just, it was a great race to watch. So that being said, uh, it was even better afterwards, and I was getting ready to turn the channel. Uh, and then they I mean, started to interview Kyle Larson, we, which I, we love Kyle, right? Flow Racing. Figured Kyle was going to, you know, might slide in a little dig on Denny, but he didn't. Just It was, you know, tough racing. Um, and then all of a sudden, the fans are cheering, and Noah and, and Ross are exchanging words. So uh, that was good. Uh Big marketing, if you will, for me over the weekend, Kentucky Derby, okay? That, uh, you know, the fastest two minutes in dirt, on dirt rather. Um, I think one of the, one of the most, not disturbing, right? Like you sit back and you want to try to put yourself inside the organizations with the horses. Seven horses were, uh, and euthanized that week or during the derby, right? The derby, the derby time frame, if you will. One of the horses, uh, big favorite, scratched the morning of Forte. Um, so there was a lot of odds going this way and that way on the horse selection and so forth. Um, and a couple of the big time top side favorites, not even really in it if you will, at all, never made a move, kind of was a letdown. Um, but I love the Derby, love all the marketing, love all the activations and so forth that they had going on. It was the 149th Kentucky Derby. And for me, 90 miles away, if you will, give or take, 150th, I'm going. Next year's episode of this podcast, I will have firsthand to give back to you about the Kentucky Derby because I am going. Sure as I'm standing here right now, I am going to the 150th Kentucky Derby. And I may be passed out out there in the middle of the infield. Probably not, but, you know, just saying. All right. Mother's Day weekend coming up this weekend. If you're just listening to the podcast, don't forget to call your mom on Mother's Day. Okay. Don't. And if you did forget, do yourself a favor, own up to it, call your mom, 
do something to make up for it. We all get busy, but man, hold on to that. Let's make sure, take care of our moms. New segment for the show. Had a couple people reach out and ask me about health, right? I talk a lot about mental health. It's Mental Health Awareness Month in the month of May. You guys know that mental health is really big to me, right? We all have our challenges, this guy included. Uh, getting better every day, always. The health side of it, really wanted. I didn't really think that there'd be a lot of people that listen to the podcast that would be interested. So this segment may stay and may not stay. But for the few that messaged and asked, I don't mind, right? Like I'm a health nut. I really am. Um, on average, I spend about two hours a day, hour, hour and a half to two hours a day in the gym. Um, I have no problem admitting that uh, this is week number six for me, taking yoga. All right, take yoga twice a week. Uh, helping with stretching, nerve growth, muscle growth, uh, flexibility, just trying to, to help myself health-wise, right? Knees, ankles, lower back, shoulders, just everything, right? You have a bunch of surgeries on your body. Your body's, I'm all disproportionate on one side. One side's bigger than the other, so forth. So along with that, I'm, I really got involved in doing a lot of blood work. And if you're over the age of 40 right now, if you're a male and you're over 40 or you're a female and over 40, get your blood work done. And I don't mean just your normal stuff like your, you know, your glucose and your cholesterol. Yeah, definitely. Right. But get your testosterone checked. Ladies, guys, get your thyroid checked understand where your body is chemically speaking your body impacts so many functions that you don't really think about that you go oh i got man i gotta get in the gym i gotta do 40 minutes of cardio i need to watch this diet and this and that that's all true okay but a lot of times just your thyroid activity or inactivity can impact the way your body is the way you sleep, your mindset, right? You're just your mental state. The testosterone for men, got no problem telling you this. I promise you, it was eye-opening to me drastically. Go get your testosterone checked. It's a given. Get on some really good vitamins. Focus on what you're eating. I've started to change a little bit. I've been eating about 25% of my protein Protein intake is coming from plant-based. I started paying a little bit more attention to that. Just little small things, not like I'm going off the moon. Yes, I use an app to track what I eat, when I eat, so forth, and, and my exercise, my sleep. That's become a huge thing for me. So... And all of these things, believe it or not, have impacted me to a motivation standpoint of wanting to mentally in my head be better, like how I think about things and how I might progress through a conversation or communication. And so little things like that, 
That's where I'm going to leave at for this week's health tip. Okay. Work on your blood work. Get yourself checked out. Make sure you know where you're at so that you know where to start from so you can see how you can improve. I fixed one little thing and lost about five pounds off my body. Seriously, no lie. Absolutely. So look into it. That's going to be my health segment. We'll have a couple more here and there. We'll drop in and out of this. You have some ideas, have questions, things you want me to talk about. Don at streetwaymedia.com. Always, you can leave comments on Racist Rental Cars on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We enjoy it. I'm still working on the business of motorsports. I have not. That's coming. Might take me a little bit more time to get that knocked out in between everything else that's going on. Again, it's graduation weekend, Mother's Day weekend. Man, it was nice to actually be back out here in this little studio area. I, I enjoyed doing this weekend drag racing from out here. And, you know, it's nice to see my simulator over here, the practice tree set up, race trailers inside the shop. And just to kind of have that feel and passion and motivation while I'm out here, it's kind of a little different. But nonetheless, thank you guys very much so for tuning in this week. Send all your questions, comments, rate, review, and subscribe. Please leave five-star ratings. Tell your friends. Help me promote this and push it through. I want to get more and more executives to come around. Need you guys to make us just a little bit more interesting to everyone. I'll keep coming up with the comments, jokes, perspectives. And who knows? Maybe in a couple of weeks, we might actually get that guy that used to be on the show with me. What was his name? Sam or uh, Dan or Cam. We might get old Cam Foray to stop back by. Is Now it's summertime. School's out. What's Cam got to do? Nothing. Zero. Got it. Thank you guys very much for tuning in to this week's episode of Racers and Rental Cars podcast and on YouTube. Woohoo! See you next week. Let's put it up for the weekend. Whoa.